Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon, and please join me in welcoming our viewing audience to today's luncheon. My name is Jennifer Sloan. I'm president of the Canadian Club of Toronto, and we thank our viewing audience for being with us. The Canadian Club has a long history as the leading current affairs podium in Canada. Led by a volunteer board of directors, we are dedicated to encouraging open and accessible debate on issues that matter to Toronto, to the province, and to Canada. Through our youth and young leaders programs, civic action diversity partnerships, accessibility commitments, as well as through our media partnerships and social media properties, we provide opportunities for Canadians around the world to engage with leading political, business, and public figures. Thank you for joining our conversation today. Before I formally introduce our speaker, I'd like to tell you about our remaining events for this season. On June 11th, Greg Engel, CEO of Tilray, one of Canada's leading licensed producers of medical cannabis, will sit down with the National Post's Tom Blackwell to explore what's next for Canada and how our homegrown expertise can be exported to the world. On June 16th, Music Canada's president and CEO, Graham Henderson, will discuss Toronto's position among the world's greatest music cities and the cultural, economic, and social benefits of a vibrant music economy. And on June 17th, direct from CBC's flagship news program, The National, join seasoned insiders Kathleen Monk, Jamie Watt, and David Hurley, along with moderator Don Newman, as they discuss one of the most anticipated Canadian federal elections in decades in front of a live Canadian Club of Toronto audience. For a full listing of the club's events and to order tickets, please visit our website at canadianclub.org. You can also join the conversation via Twitter or Instagram by following us at CDNCLUBTO or by using that hashtag. Ladies and gentlemen, on your behalf, I'm pleased to introduce this afternoon's guest speaker. The appointment of the 23rd U.S. Ambassador to Canada in March 2014 was welcome news. The Prime Minister's office commented that the choice of Bruce Heyman was an opportunity to advance shared priorities, including job creation and increased trade. The Canadian American Business Council called His Excellency's appointment an inspired choice and hailed Ambassador Heyman's ability to take the ball and continue to advance the interests of both countries at a crucial time. In one of his first speeches as U.S. Ambassador to Canada, Mr. Heyman quoted President Obama saying that, quote, no two nations match up more closely or are woven together more deeply economically, culturally than the United States and Canada, close quote. The United States and Canada are mutually invested in shared prosperity. Today, Ambassador Heyman outlines his vision of the opportunities that underscore this important bilateral relationship. 
The trade figures accentuate the interdependent nature of our relationship. About $734 billion in annual trade. That's $2 billion a day or $1.4 million a minute. Ambassador Heyman is experienced at nurturing relationships, advancing mutual priorities, and building wealth. A Vanderbilt University graduate, and this is when I say go Georgia Bulldogs, being one, he is a 33-year veteran of Goldman Sachs, one of the world's leading investment banking, securities, and investment management firms. At Goldman Sachs, he served as the managing director of the Private Wealth Management Group from 1999 until December 2013. Mr. Heyman contributed to a number of organizations in Chicago where he was located until his appointment last year. For example, he served on the boards of the Chicago Council on Global Affairs and the Northwestern Memorial Hospital Foundation. We are pleased to welcome Ambassador Heyman today. Ambassador, the Canadian Club of Toronto's podium, Canada's podium of record, is now yours. Jennifer, that, that was a very generous introduction. I, I appreciate that very, very much. I thought I'd start today and reflect back on those first few days when I uh, arrived in Ottawa and give you a sense of the learnings that I went through. And then maybe we'll chat a little bit more about the bilateral relationship. But in those very first few days, I uh, came into this most beautiful embassy um, those of you who have not seen it, it is absolutely spectacular and a fantastic location, similar in location to your embassy in Washington. And I'm sitting in my uh, new office and looking out over uh, Parliament, and it's April 15th. Yes, tax day back at home, but something that I especially noted was it was snowing. And uh, so I'm looking out the window, and it's snowing. And, of course, I have uh, a lot of Canadian staff uh, working at the embassy as well, and they're particularly groaning. I, I had not experienced the winter here, um, and they were frustrated. So I looked out the window, and I thought, this would be a perfect moment for me uh, to try out my new Twitter thing. <laughs> so I wheeled around at my desk, and I typed in something to the effect of uh, April 15th, Ottawa, snowing, question mark, explanation mark, seriously, and then hashtag, where are the tulips? And I click send, and I turned back around and sat at my desk. Shortly thereafter, I'm sitting there, and somebody's knocking on my door, and I'm feeling, this is great, new ambassador, I've got a meeting that I didn't even think about. I said, who's there? And they said, sir, it's your public affairs team. <laughs> you can see where this is going. Um, they come in. I said, hi, public affairs team. How are you? And they said, um, sir, what are you doing? I like the sir part. It really, you know, formalized it a bit. I said, why? You know, i just checking out my Twitter. And they said, uh, have you seen the front page of the Huffington Post Canada? And I said, no. They said, take a look. So, of course, I do. 
Tehran, Huffington Post Canada, and the headline, New U.S. Ambassador Already Criticizing Canadian Weather. <laughs> Fast learning I had. Fast learning. Um, I'd also like to take a minute, uh, I know Don's not here, but I'd like to give a shout out to Don Newman, who came to me about a year ago and suggested this venue and uh, just say uh, uh, a sh a hello to Don and Shannon and, and uh, greetings, from, uh, greetings from Toronto. It's been a long time coming. I'm honored to be here today. Toronto is actually a city that's very close to my heart. For one, it's the sister city of my hometown, Chicago. It's become my second home here in Canada. Toronto was, in fact, the first city that I visited when I arrived uh, in Ottawa. So after Ottawa, Toronto was my first stop. And we've been back very many times. Um, it's with uh, great affection for the city that I stand in front of you today. Toronto and Chicago. We actually have a lot in common. Both cities rebuilt after a devastating fire that destroyed our city center. But there's a lesson here, because although the fires were devastating, which they were, the important part is what happened next to both of our cities. You see, the destruction was actually seen as an opportunity, an opportunity to make these two great cities, aside two great lakes, even better than they had been before. Both cities are part of a region unquestionably great in importance to the prosperity of both Canada and the United States, a critical hub for jobs, for trade and investment. Much of our bilateral trade and investment flows through these Great Lakes region. The eight Great Lake states traded more than 290 billion dollars in goods with Canada last year. Now that's more than the U.S. in total traded with Japan and India combined. The province of Ontario exports nearly four times more goods to just one great lake state, the state of Michigan, than you do to the entire United Kingdom. Our markets are inextricably linked, our families are interwoven, and our values are aligned. There's no better partnership. So I'm here today with great optimism in a region of unquestionably great importance to the prosperity of both Canada and the United States, a region steeped in our shared history as manufacturers uh, are ripe for potential growth. Continued growth in the region not only benefits the states and provinces of the Great Lakes, but it benefits North America and our entire economy as a whole. In a few minutes, I'll touch on some of the initiatives um, that are expanding trade and investment between our two countries. But first, I'd like to start with my general impressions about the U.S.-Canada relationship. As Jennifer mentioned, I've been on the job a little over a year now. And let me just first tell you how much I actually love this job. I am so thankful for the opportunity uh, to represent and serve my country in this role. Since I arrived in Ottawa as ambassador, Vicki and I have had the pleasure of traveling across Canada and meeting thousands, 
yes, thousands of Canadians from all regions and all walks of life. And we have received an overwhelming reception and an overwhelming view of the relationship from all of those meetings is extraordinarily positive. I've been to more than 30 cities in nine provinces and three territories and see to see to see. And later this summer, I will be in Newfoundland and Labrador, guaranteed. And in all my travels, in my daily work, in my meetings with senior government, business, and other institutional leaders in Canada, the message I come away with is the same, that the relationship between our two countries is as strong and fundamental as the Canadian shield, the bedrock upon which Canada is built. The fact is, there has never been a more comprehensive commitment to shared prosperity between two sovereign nations than the one that exists between the United States and Canada. A year ago, almost exactly, I stood in the newly renovated atrium of the National Gallery of Art in Ottawa. The spires of Parliament were over my left shoulder and the lit dome of the United States Embassy over my right. And I spoke about my priorities as ambassador. I presented four areas of engagement and cooperation that I'd like to take a moment to review with you today. First was, and is, the economy and trade. Jennifer mentioned these numbers. They're big. They're huge. We should just pause a minute because when I talk to other ambassadors, both of the United States and in Ottawa, and I go over these numbers, they ask me to repeat. They said, I'm sorry, can you say that again? The total trade and investment between our two countries creates an astounding $1.4 trillion economic relationship. It's made up of trade and investment. On the trade side, 759, as of the end of this last year, billion. That is more than 2 billion a day, or 1.4 million a minute, or 23,000 every second. And 77% of the trade that Canada does, an export, goes to the United States. Nearly $650 billion was in bilateral foreign investment. And this is going up by billions of dollars every year. And that's how you come up with a $1.4 trillion relationship. Second, energy and the environment. And was the critical word, not or. We work together on energy and environmental issues including the Arctic, where the United States just succeeded Canada as chair of the Arctic Council. We work together on forest and watershed issues, as well as boundary waters, as well as water quality policies, all aspects of energy generation and transmission and greenhouse gas emissions, as well as the full range of environmental issues. Third, cultural exchange which my partner Vicky has made a priority. We talked about that from the very beginning. I'm very fortunate to have a strong partner with me here in Canada. And she's focusing on cross-border arts, education, social innovation, 
We've created a program called Contemporary Conversations, a unique program in which we partnered with the Art and Embassy Program in Washington and have brought living artists uh, to partner with the National Gallery. We, talk, we call it Contemporary Conversations because we bring these artists in and use them as a means to create conversations, sometimes around areas that are more difficult, but that art allows us to have. If you haven't followed what she's doing, you should check out her Twitter. I think she's a little better maybe than I am at that, at VSHay. And fourth, cooperation and leadership in the world. The world stage is big, and Canada, the United States, we cooperate in a close and productive ways to ensure a coordinated approach on a whole host of issues. ISIL, to Ebola, to the Ukraine. Our militaries, we stand together and serve together. But not only do we do this overseas, but we do it right here through NORAD, which stands for the North American Aerospace Defense Command. We protect North America together, and we do it in an incredibly unique way. You see, the U.S. and Canadian troops report through a unified command structure. In NATO, we remain committed to the defense and security of all of our allies while we work together to support Ukraine. So now, entering into my second year, I want to reaffirm my commitment to each of these four areas as well as add one more. And that is our shared border. Our two governments work together to ensure the constant flow of goods and people across that shared border, and they want to make sure it's efficient and secure. We work together across all of these areas, all of these areas not because of political expediency, not because we're just reacting to the issue of the day. We do it because of our common history, our common interests, and most importantly, our common values. They demand it. In Canada, the U.S. government, actually, one of the roles that we have in the embassy is keeping track of the many people that come as part of the U.S. government as visitors. Last year, we received 10,000 U.S. government officials. I'm sure glad they all didn't come to the House. But this massive flow of visitors largely happens below the radar as officials in both of our countries from all the various government agencies who work together, just, just as they've done for decades. This work includes international conferences, scientific research visits, and meetings on a broad array of issues which we cooperate, from space exploration to food safety, from health policy to international security, from transportation to border infrastructure. Along with Mexico, the U.S. and Canada are working together to enhance North American competitiveness. And we're working to maintain our status as the most innovative, dynamic, competitive economic region on the planet. And while we love, and we do, we love being Canada's number one trading partner and having Canada as our number one trading partner. I think it's important to note that we are fully supportive of Canada expanding and diversifying its markets 
and expanding its trade and opportunities as broadly as possible. One of the important lessons I learned in my many years working in the financial industry is the value of diversification. Broader global trading relations are good for the Canadian economy, good for the North American economy, and good for the United States. The Canadian government has been actively pursuing trade deals across the globe, and we welcome this. Now, perhaps the best opportunity for Canada in this regard is the Trans-Pacific Partnership. We call it TPP for short. The importance of this trade agreement cannot be overstated. You see, TPP countries, there are 12 of them. We all come together. They comprise almost 800 million consumers and 40% of the global GDP. TPP will not only expand markets for exporters, but set high standard rules for trade, address vital 21st century issues within the global economy. And with all three NAFTA members at the TPP negotiating table, we have a unique opportunity to strengthen North American competitiveness. Of course, most business doesn't actually happen between governments. No, business is driven substantially by private companies of all sizes, delivering products and services in an ever more competitive marketplace. But governments can help, along with creating the institutional and regulatory framework for business. And governments can point businesses toward growth opportunities. In fact, that's the key focus of almost any embassy of any country in the world. And as this ambassador, I've made this one of my primary interests. I believe in driving outcomes on trade and investment as one of the most tangible ways I can, can contribute to our relationship. And as much as we support Canada's efforts to expand its global footprint, the bilateral figures illustrate that we have plenty to gain as well by continuing to invest time and energy into expanding even further the Canada-U.S. relationship. Neither of us is likely to see, nor would we necessarily want to see, any change in our status as the other's most important and most reliable trading partner. Energy. Energy, of course, is huge. It's a major factor in our trading relationship, but there's something I would bet the vast majority of Americans, and maybe even some Canadians, wouldn't know. Canada is by far the top foreign supplier of all types of energy, including crude oil to the United States. Canada sends us about 3.2 million barrels per day. That's now about 45% of our total imports. The other aspect of the energy relationship, though, is just as important. Canada is the largest exporter of electricity to the United States. And 80% of Canada's electricity supply comes from sources that do not emit greenhouse gases. Clean energy. In the decades to come, investment and job growth in clean energy will be phenomenal. Canada ranks number one on the U.S. Department of Commerce list of top renewable energy export markets, accounting for nearly a third of all U.S. renewable energy sector exports 
through 2015. As partners in one of the most broad energy economies in the world, Canada and the U.S. are well positioned to move into the next generation of energy sources. Climate change is real. Clean energy is the solution to climate change. It's also the biggest emerging market. It will create enormous number of jobs. It will allow us to live up to our responsibility to future generations, both in terms of the planet we leave behind, but also in economic security. Make no mistake, this is more than an opportunity. It's an obligation. So what are we doing to enhance, expand, facilitate trade and investment in the Great Lakes region and more broadly between our two countries? So one of my very top priorities is to make the border crossing uh, for goods and for people easier, faster, and more efficient, while ensuring that our security standards remain uncompromised and that we fully implement our obligations to screen incoming goods and people. These two goals seem at odds with each other. And of course, to some degree, they are. If you want 100% security, then no one will get into either of our two countries. And if you want 100% ease of movement, well, you'll have no security. So the key, of course, is balance. But I believe also there's a huge potential to use technology to improve the way our countries approach our shared responsibility to manage our border. Small improvements in processing can yield big payoffs. You know, I already said we do $2 billion a day in trade. On average, on average, there are more than 300,000 people that cross our border every single day. Imagine the gains that can come from consistently making those border crossings more efficient. Even shaving a few seconds a year per person through the use of technology or better processes. And that's what we've been working on. So not too long ago, I joined uh, Canadian Minister of Public Safety, Stephen Blaney, and U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, at the signing of a long-in-the-works agreement to manage our pre-clearance process. Customs Border Protection, CBP, currently conducts air preclearance in eight airports in Canada, just like it does right here at Pearson, where you go through the border control at the airport here, and then you enter into the United States. Preclearance between the United States and Canada benefits travelers and trade by reducing congestions and related delays back when you land into the United States and increases efficiency and predictability in cross-border travel, tourism, and transportation. Among other things, this updated agreement will allow for the consideration of requests for new preclearance locations in air, rail, land, and marine facilities. This is another part of a program called Beyond the Border, BTB. It's an initiative where our two governments launched in 2011 as a shared vision for perimeter security and economic competitiveness, an initiative that continues to produce results. On May 19th, just a week or so ago, our two countries 
two governments released the 2014 implementation report that not only identified our successes, but presented a forward plan outlining possibilities of further improvement. In essence, this was a promise that we continue to work together to expedite travel and shipments for trusted travelers, trusted traders, while maintaining our border integrity. One trusted traveler component of the Beyond the Border initiative is the Nexus program. Sometimes I give speeches like this, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, especially for those of us who travel frequently across the border between the U.S. and Canada. This is a life-changing card. In fact, I was with an airline executive a month or so ago, and he told me his Nexus card is the most valuable card in his wallet. In fact, he turned to me and said, you know what? You could take every card out of my wallet, including my credit cards, but don't touch my Nexus card. Now, we already have more than a million Nexus users, and we're headed toward two million. Nexus member crossings accounted for 13.5% of the total northern border crossings in 2014. Just imagine the potential for reduced wait times here and across Canada if we are able to enroll more of our frequent travelers in this valuable program. Our governments have also been working to facilitate trade and ease regulatory compliance through something that's called the RCC, or the Regulatory Cooperation Council. And last week, the RCC released a set of regulatory partnership statements. These statements provide a framework for our two governments to move forward, breaking down detailed technical initiatives in each sector that provide a foundation for what I think is a fundamental shift in the relationship between U.S. and Canadian regulators. But the details, sometimes we can get all bogged down in the mechanisms of this. At the end of the day, this is really common sense stuff. Child safety seats. Can you imagine different standards for child safety seats that if you wanted to comply, that you drive to the border, take your child out of the safety seat, put it in the back, put the other safety seat that complies with the other country? SPF and cosmetics, where licensing is different in two different countries, baby food container sizes that are different sizes, soup container sizes, soda pop labeling. Both Canadians and Americans, obviously we want our children to be safe and secure in the car. We all want cosmetics to be safe for daily use. And the value and integrity of the safety of our food, of course we want that. So it makes sense to align our regulations, our standards, and our labeling so people can buy and sell products in our two markets without unnecessary duplicative compliance costs and delays. I mentioned earlier that I believe in driving outcomes on trade and the investment front is one of the most tangible ways uh, that I can contribute to our growing relationship. So earlier this year, I sent 50 unique letters to all 50 U.S. governors. I invited them to lead trade delegations to Canada to explore opportunities to expand business on both sides of the border. We had 11 such visits last year, and we're aiming for more this year. And I've been meeting with Canadian premiers with the same message. 
lead your business delegations to the U.S. to scope out new business opportunities. We enjoy a strong working relationship with Premier Wynn, as we do with the premiers across the country. And Premier Wynn led a highly successful delegation to Washington, D.C. and New York earlier this year to discuss both policy and trade at the federal and state levels. This is in the interest of both the United States and the province of Ontario. In the long run, I believe it shows leadership by Premier Wynne, demonstrating her astute understanding of the nature and importance of the relationship between our two countries. We are more than willing to drive outcomes, and we can point out opportunities the delegations may not have known about and make connections that lead to new collaboration, new investments, and new trading relationships. We know that trade and investment is always a two-way deal. I've run into some politicians, of course, that are solely focused on exports. Well, that's fine. But everyone knows if everybody just exported, well, that doesn't exactly work. Imports. Imports provide consumers with more choice, lower prices, encourage firms to deliver at greater value. On the investment front, we celebrate investments by U.S. companies in Canada, as well as Canadian investment in the United States. Cross-border investment creates jobs, creates economic growth, that benefits citizens on both sides of our border. That said, I'd love to see more Canadian investment expansion in the United States. In March, I led a delegation of more than 80 representatives of Canadian companies and organizations on a trip to Washington to the Select USA Summit. This was organized by the U.S. Commerce Department to teach potential investors about the ins and outs of investing in the United States. And again, we're not asking Canadian companies to move to the United States. We want them to expand their businesses in the United States. We want them to create jobs and wealth both here and there. There's a lot going on between the U.S. and Canada that has tangible and positive impacts on the lives of our citizens. Unfortunately, this great, great cooperation doesn't always tend to make it in the media. We're all familiar with the headlines and commentaries that look for differences of opinion and focus on the challenges we face on some issues. I get it. Headline, U.S. and Canada get along just great today. Oh, that's, that's not going to sell a lot of newspapers or create a lot of buzz or retweets. Frequently, controversy makes better copy. We understand the challenges. We're working daily on resolving the challenges. I also assure you that the U.S. government is aware of Canada's position on the KXL oil pipeline. But neither the pipeline nor any other single issue defines our relationship. I think it's important to step back and think of the relationship in the broader and incredibly positive context that I hopefully have laid out for you today. Challenges in our relationship are nothing new, as you'll see with neighbors or friends or family. Even the closest don't have agreements on everything. I can easily use the same words JFK used over 50 years ago in his famous speech before the Canadian Parliament. Quote, 
What unites us is far greater than what divides us. The issues and irritants that inevitably affect all neighbors are small indeed in comparison with the issues that we face together. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the Peace Arch. This is an arch that was built on the border between Washington State and British Columbia. It's gorgeous. It was originally built to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the signing of the Treaty of Ghent in 1814, which was the end of the War of 1812. On the top are the flags of the U.S. and Canada with inscriptions, children of a common mother, and brethren dwelling together in unity. Now, more than a century later, those words ring equally true today. And we're working to make sure they ring equally true a hundred years from now. You all, now we, are part of one of the many thousands of efforts toward this goal. It's our job, collectively, as citizens, as business leaders, as community leaders, to make sure the physical and institutional infrastructure, as well as the personal and business relationships that cement our common future remain strong and efficient to help ensure that the continued prosperity of our two nations continues and we keep this amazing bilateral relationship moving forward. Thank you for your time today. Thank you very much, Ambassador Heyman. And so on behalf of the Canadian Club of Toronto and our live audience, I'd like to thank you for outlining your plans to nurture and grow the Canada-U.S. relationship. As you so passionately articulated, the relationship between our two nations is deep, rich, and fundamental. Our economies are interconnected and interdependent. We are each other's best partner. Working together, under your leadership, this relationship promises to grow stronger. We wish you the very best as you travel across the vastness of our beautiful country to promote bilateral interests, seek new opportunities, and broker deals that will contribute to shared and lasting prosperity. Thank you, Vicki, for being with us today. I also would like to say, go Blackhawks, your beloved Blackhawks. So thank you very much for joining us. Before I adjourn today's meeting, I'd like to draw your attention to the survey cards that we've placed at each of your tables. Uh, the Canadian Club is always looking for ways to improve your experience. So if you would please take a moment to let us know by sharing your thoughts and comments, the uh, feedback would be very much appreciated. This concludes our program today, which will be aired and broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We are grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian Club events. To learn more about our club, please visit us at www.canadianclub.org. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for being an attentive audience. Our meeting is now adjourned. Thank you. Thank you.